Wow, how good uh, it is to be back with you. I only had one uh, song of worship under my belt when I greeted you, but now that I've done a whole worship set with you people and have heard uh, your testimony of the Lord's grace at work in your life through song, uh, man, I can't tell you how delighted I am to be back with you. Uh, God leads um, pastors to people, uh, not just to places, and so I am thankful uh, to be able to be back with you. Two weeks ago, we worshiped at Riverbend Community Church, uh, used to be formerly First Baptist Church of uh, Ormond Beach, Florida, and then last Sunday, we worshiped at First Baptist Church, Daytona, just so you know that I'm not a heathen and pagan and like just live on the beach the whole uh, time we were down there. And uh, I was so encouraged by both, but really encouraged at First Baptist Daytona. Uh, they are about a month away from completely relocating their downtown campus, which they've been at for over 100 years. Now, I want you to think of that. They're quite a bit older than we are. They've been at that location for uh, quite a long time. And they're moving out to an area where uh, there's just a lot of communities and subdivisions uh, going in. They're still in Daytona. But one of the reasons they're doing that is it's an aging congregation. And one of the reasons that they're relocating is they want to reach young families and they want to reach children. This is no small task. Uh, I want you all to think about what that would have been like uh, if several years ago our committee or our team uh, would have come and said we're going to relocate and we're going to go to a different completely uh, part of our county. It would have been hard on us, let alone you take a church like Glasgow Baptist. You can just imagine how their people would respond if Erdy stood up and said our, our team thinks, our ministry team thinks we should relocate to a whole other part of town. I mean, that just causes uh, a lot of questions and people can become easily unnerved in that. But we were... Uh, we, we worshiped in a, a warehouse last week, First Baptist Church Daytona, worshiping in a warehouse uh, at their Tomoka Farms location. We're real close to that. And it was just sort of like their temporary house where they've been worshiping at out in that location for some time. And as I <clears throat> went to that place, having visited their downtown campus many times, I just thought to myself how faithful God is and how faithful God has been to that church family, and I've been thinking about those older folks, those white-haired folks who worship there, and how they are willing to relocate and give money toward that so that the next generation, so that the next generation can hear the gospel and that they can be reached and that they can have a ministry location in the center for the gospel to be able to multiply and go forth. And so today, I, I want to talk to us about that really for the whole month, about generational disciple-making. If you received a Connect Guide when you came in, you see that graphic, you can see it on the screen. That's where we're going to be for a month. We're going to be in Psalm 78. Uh, next week, Dr. Moeller is going to be with us. I think that's in your Connect Guide. He's going to be preaching on the subject of how not to raise a heathen, how not to raise a, a heathen. And so uh, I'm really excited about that, him coming and sharing with us uh, next week. And so uh, we want to encourage you to come and uh, invite people to come with you next Sunday uh, to hear uh, the word of the Lord. And today I want us to look at Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. And I want to preach on this subject, setting our hope in God. Setting our hope in God. 
a vision for generational disciple making. Today we're welcoming Taylor and Kaylee Pike and we are going to begin to transition our family ministry a little bit uh, this year and uh, as we especially move toward next year. Um, we are excited to have them, but I want to, I, I really felt led of the Lord and I wanted to make sure that we clearly articulated a, a vision, a clear vision for generational disciple making, for family ministry, and that we did that really, really well over the month of August. Because what I want you to hear is we're not just swapping one staff member for another staff member. We're not just exchanging one program for another program. But what we really believe God's leading us to do is take where we are at and go much deeper on a real personal level, on a real family level, on a real single level, on a real widow-widower level, and go and begin to invest deeply, invest deeply in those that God has surrounded us with. And so God has called us to make disciples, and we want to do that, and we want to do it well, and we want to make sure that we're making disciples of those that God has given us and entrusted to us. And so read with me uh, Psalm 78. This is a psalm by Asaph. Asaph was a tremendous, tremendous character. You'll hear more about him in just a moment. But he was a gifted musician uh, in David's uh, camp and kingdom. He was a prophet that was used by God. Uh, we have him contributing here. The Lord used him to pin some words of Holy Scripture here in this song. And I want you to look at verses 1 through 8. And I want you to listen today. I want you to interact today. And I want you to capture a vision today about God, uh, what he's wanting to do in our hearts, in our homes, in our families, in our individual lives, in our generation, but in the generations to come. On the heels of 20 people losing their lives at a Walmart in El Paso by the hands of what the early reports seemed to be, a white nationalist or a white supremacist. And then on the heels of this morning, another shooting in Dayton, Ohio. I'm not sure how many have lost their lives there. We are reminded, not weekly, not monthly, but daily, our world is out of whack. If you believe that, say amen. Our world is out of whack. And the only hope for the world is Jesus. And the only hope that we have of getting Jesus to the world is when we begin to be so consumed um, by his gospel, by what he has done for us, who he is, that we are compelled to share that with the people that we love most to the people that we don't even know, right? Future generations. And as we're going to read in this text, to those who have yet to be born, those who are unborn, we have a responsibility. Now, while I can't take my faith and put it right in Jacob's heart and say, Jacob, I love you, so therefore I'm giving you Jesus and Jesus is saving you. Now, I can't do that. can't do that for Kern or Caleb or Levi. What I can do is live a life of faith. I can live a life that is gospel-centered and I can say to them, here is who God is. Here is what God has done. Here is how you can know him. Now, will you surrender your life to him 
or will you choose the life of paganism? Will you love Jesus or will you love the world? My brothers and sisters, this is the question before us today. Will we lead our families to answer that question properly? Will we lead ourselves to answer that question properly? To take that one foot that we love have, having planted firmly in the world, are we going to be willing as God's people to pull that foot out of the world and say, God, I am ready. I am so ready to follow you. I don't want to be half-hearted. I don't want to be half in and half out. I don't want to be on a teeter-totter. One day I'm in, one day, one day I'm up, one day I'm down. But God, I want to follow you with my whole heart by faith. Let's hear the word of the Lord, and then we'll unpack these verses together today. The whole idea of setting our hope in God, this scriptural vision for generational disciple-making. Listen to Asaph serving as a prophet, this masculine of Asaph. We're not for sure exactly what the definition of that word means. It could be a song, it could be a poem, but listen to what he says. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable and I will utter dark sayings from of old. That sounds awkward. It's awkward for a reason. The Hebrew has a specific uh, meaning that he's wanting us to understand. And so in English it's translated, utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God. If you see it, say amen. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. And that we, they, should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. God has called us to make disciples in our own homes. This calling to make disciples in our own homes is much more than just church attendance. If you're here today and you are setting your hope in the fact that if you attend church, you're going to be a disciple of Christ. I want to say to you, that is not enough. There are people all through this country who have attended church their whole life and they're no more in love with Jesus now than they were when they were 8 and 10 years old. They're no more practicing their faith in Christ now than they were when they were in VBS at a, as an 8-year-old boy or girl. It is not just a church attendance and it's not just life group attendance. It's not just program participation. It's more than just 90 minutes per week of worshiping. It's not just, as Russell Moore wrote this past week, uh, understanding a Bible verse enough to quote it and then quoting a bunch of Bible verses. 
But it's raising up Bible readers, people who understand the story of the gospel and the thread of the gospel from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation and how they can see God's grand, glorious story of redemption through the person of Christ all throughout the word of God. It is that idea that God is calling us to. It's much more than just what we normally think church is or disciple making is. God has called us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and the faithfulness of God to his people, to our children and to future generations. This work of evangelism and intentional Bible teaching must begin in our homes and proceed to our community, state, nation, and peoples around the world. I am, I am fearful, listen to what I'm saying, I am fearful that when our mission, uh, our vision for missions and our mission strategy begins with the community and then it goes to the state and then it goes to the nation and then it goes to peoples around the world and we bypass and forget that inside Jerusalem are a bunch of homes and those bunch of homes have children that God calls us to raise and that he calls us to deposit the gospel in and to do all that we can to faithfully teach them and evangelize them and to have children. Now listen to me, Christian families ought to be having children. Oh, come on. Christian young couples ought to be having children and having lots of children. Now I know some of you grandparents are saying, whoa, 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 preacher. You have come back from vacation. you got to tone it down. Listen to me. The American dream of a job that provides you a nice house and two cars and a couple dogs and a couple kids, it's not biblical. When God worked in his people, the people of Israel, he said to them, you need to multiply. When he created Adam and Eve, one of the very first commands was what? Be fruitful and multiply. Do you know why Islam is spreading around the world faster than Christianity? There's a bunch of Muslims having babies. And you know what they're doing? They're teaching their children Islam. Craig Davis, am I telling that truth? You, you just coming from that country. Am I preaching truth right there? You and I, as God's people, we have to get away from that idea of, well, we can only have children if we can afford them. Now listen to what I'm saying and not saying. We should be fully responsible to take great care of our children. But can I say to you, great children, great care and provision for our children does not mean the latest and greatest of everything. They do not have to have a car when they turn 16. They don't have to have a swimming pool to swim in. They don't have to have Nikes and Air Jordans and the latest, greatest of everything. I am more aware than ever that Kerr and Jacob sitting here today would be fine if they were in some old Walmart Wrangler blue jeans, a set of some sort of designer blue jeans. Somebody say amen. Good for pop, good for the boys. What are you saying, preacher? Listen to what I'm saying. Yes, we should provide for our children in a responsible way. But I am telling you, Tracy and I just never could have afforded to got married. How many of y'all just had to take that leap? How many of you just had to take that leap? We lived in a little trailer that the guy built home to. The ceiling was so low in the trailer, I could just walk and touch the ceiling. I felt like a giant. 
right? The nursery was paneling that we painted, and we got some plaques of Big Bird, and we threw it on the, on the wall, and, and uh, Elmo and Cookie Monster and all those guys. You say, what are you trying to say this morning, Pastor? Listen to what I'm saying. God calls us to be fruitful and to multiply. And we need to have a mission strategy that flows from one of these very first principles that we find in the book of Genesis that we see God being faithful to, that we see Asaph as a prophet of God reiterating here in Psalm 78, that we see Jesus reinforcing in the Gospel of Matthew when he says, suffer not, you let these little children come to me. The kingdom is about little children. You need to come as little children with that kind of faith and anticipation, but you need to allow these children come to me, be, allow them to come to me, because such is the kingdom of God. It is imperative for you and I to understand that we have a responsibility to share the gospel with our children and with future generations. This is the longest historical psalm in the Old Testament or in the book of Psalms. And what Asaph is about to do is, he's about to say something in verses 1 and 3, and he says it in such a way it is to gather the attention of the Israelites and they are not to miss what he was about to say. So concerning the command in Scripture to make disciples of children and our children's children and of future generations of children that are not our own, first of all, we must hear the urgent call from God and we must understand what is stake. We must hear the urgent call from God and understand what is at stake. He says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching, Listen to this phrase, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings that, that could be translated riddle. I'm going I'm to speak to you in a parable, and I'm going to speak to you in a way that it's going to be sort of a riddle. You're going to have to work to understand it a little bit. And then he goes on to say, I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We must listen and heed the instruction of the Lord. The Lord is calling us here today, just as he was calling Asap, just as he was calling the children of Israel. We must listen and heed the instruction of the, of the Lord. When he uses the phrase hear, that means uh, hear and listen to what I'm saying. He's saying, give ear to me, listen to me, be obedient to the words that you're about to receive. It is like when you and I are trying to get a message across to our kids and we say something like, listen to me. Do any of you do that? Listen to me. How many of you parents do that? And then when you're really serious, you say, look at me, listen to me, and look at me so I know you're listening. Any of you parents use that phrase, look at me? Look at me because I'm going to make sure that you're hearing me, right? That is the language that is being used here. Asaph, as a prophet of God, is implying, I want you to hear Heed these words. Hear them, and I want you to obey them. This word teaching is the word Torah. This was the Hebrew word for their law, but it could also be used for authoritative instruction. What does that mean? So Boyce says this. Boyce says it means this, that we have a responsibility to hear what God is saying to us concerning our responsibility to make sure that the next generation, this current generation and the next generation and generations to come know who God is and in the context of this side of Calvary, more importantly even, know who Jesus Christ is. 
So when he's saying that he's very descriptive, he's saying incline your ear, stretch your ear, listen to the words of my mouth. This is a type of active, eager, responsive listening which results in learning and obedience. This is not a casual listening. This is not checking your watch. When is the reading of the word of God going to be done? When is Pastor Randy going to be done? When is Pastor Brian going to be done? When is so-and-so going to be done? No, it's this idea of what does the text say and why is God calling me to hear that today? It's the idea that we just don't passively sit there but that we're stretching out our ears toward the word of the Lord. We're, this popular phrase, we're leaning into, leaning into the word of the Lord and we don't want to miss a single, single word of it. Why? Because God has this word for us. Oh, my brothers and sisters, I want to say to you, and almost in a way of warning today, don't be a passive listener and engager with the word of God. Be very intentional and interactive with the word. When you hide it in your heart, hide the understanding and the meaning of that text in your heart. Seek to know what God is wanting to do with you, with your husband, with your wife, with your kids, with your parents, with future generations. What is God wanting us to know about himself? I'm telling you it's the most important word that we have today. What's most important is not what's going on in our country. What's most important is what's going on in our hearts and in our homes. When our hearts and our homes are right, the country can be different. But not until our hearts and our homes are right will our country ever be different. God is speaking a timeless word. So I come back to there in the introduction, this phrase, from of old. What does he mean there? He's speaking, this phrase, from of old, is speaking a timeless word. What, what does that mean? Listen to Asaph. He is saying, this word is good for past generations, for current generations, and this word is good for future generations. And so this first principle or this first vision of this generational disciple-making vision has to do with how that we interact with God's word and how we give ourselves to the attention of God's word. Oh, my brothers and sisters, you are not listening to just another uh, speaker. You're not listening just to a rotary speaker who's coming by. You're not listening to a Kiwanis speaker who's coming by. You're not listening to just someone else when the word of God is open, but we are taking a seat before the Lord God Almighty, and we should do that eagerly saying, oh Lord, speak to us. And so he's speaking a timeless word to his people in a parable and riddle as he recounts the faithfulness of God and Israel's unfaithfulness and their lack of response to his grace and mercy. I want you to look with me at verses 34 through 37. We, we don't have time to preach this whole chapter today, but to help you understand why this prophet of God is getting to people's attention and he's doing it in this really emphatic way saying, hey, we, we've got to get this right. We've got to give heed to the word of God is because he's going to give a summary, a parable of how God's been incredibly faithful to the people of Israel and how they've responded in a lack of faith. And so we'll pick it up. Um, in, in spite of this, I'm going to pick it up uh, back in verse 32. In spite of this, what? That God fed the people and that he fed the people with plenty 
and that when the people were in the wilderness, they were disobedient, they struggled, they were hungry, and God came to them, uh, came to them. He demonstrated compassion. He worked within their lives. He fed them. And in verse 32, in spite of all this, they still sinned. In spite of God's faithfulness, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath. And their years in terror, verse 34, when he killed them, they sought him and they repented and they sought God earnestly. So when God had to demonstrate his wrath and his judgment, oh man, the people's attention would stand up, right? And all of a sudden they would give themselves to the word of the Lord. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Do not wait till you fall into the hands of an angry God to give your attention to the Lord. Give your attention to the Lord when his word is sweet, when it is fresh, and when it is new. Give yourself to that word each and every day and let the word of God transform you and change you and work within you. He goes on, verse 35, they remembered that God was their rock. Why did they remember that? Because he had to come to them and he passed judgment on them and then the people would wake up and they would say, oh, God is our rock, the most high God, their redeemer. And then what would happen? Verse 36. But they flattered him with their mouths and they lied to him with their tongues. In other words, the people of Israel would offer up strange fire to the Lord. So God would provide. They would not respond. God would act in judgment. The people of God would, would recognize the judgment and they would say, I don't want to die. And so they would respond to God in what appeared to be faith but wasn't really faith. And then they would uh, speak positively about God, but notice what it says in verse 37. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Listen to what the Lord is wanting us to hear today at Calvary. Calvary people, family and friends, we must hear this urgent call from God and understand what is at stake. And what is at stake is the gospel being properly communicated to this generation that is behind us and this generation that is coming after them and the generation that is coming after them. What is at stake is, will we demonstrate ourselves as faithful believers, people who God has changed and worked in according to his grace and mercy, or are we only going to respond to God when things are tough, when judgment is pending, when sorrow is great, you say, preacher, can't I respond to God in those times? You absolutely can. But listen to what the word is teaching us today. We should be responding to God and his word each and every day. We don't want to take our relationship with the Lord in a casual way. So what does that mean for our family ministry? It simply means this. Mom and dads, grandmas and grandpas, we got to get serious about the word. We cannot pass on what we do not have. We cannot commend what we do not live. We cannot deposit and teach what we do not know. We have to know the word. And just as much as we invest in our children in athletics, and just as, we, as we invest in our children in cheerleading, and just as we invest in them in band, and just as we invest in them in secular education, and just as we invest in them to go get a job and make all you can so you can fulfill this American dream, my brothers and sisters, we have to invest the gospel in our children. Now, for some of you, you're in a real dilemma right now. 
because some of you are saying right now, I'm not for sure I want that for my kid. I would like for them to have both. I want them to have the pleasure and ease of the American dream, and I want them to have enough Christianity so they don't burn in hell and they go to heaven. I want you to listen to this. If that is your position, your children most likely are going to miss heaven and spend eternity separated from Christ. Why is that? Because the call to follow God is a total, it's a call of total abandonment to self. This is not a call, church family, to just come and make some emotional decision and then say, I got saved when I was six, when I was eight, when I was 10, when I was 12, when I was 15. I've really not grown. I really don't know the word anymore. I really am not faithful. There's no fruit in my life. God's not at work in me currently, but somehow I'm trusting that I'm going to heaven. Some of you parents need to come today. And whether you come publicly or whether you go home and you get on your back porch on your knees and start praying and either interceding for your kids and your grandkids, that needs to occur today. Church is not enough. Someone affirm that, will you? The weekly gathering of worshipers is in response to a God who has saved us. It's not in pursuit of a God. So number one, we must hear the urgent call from God and understand what is at stake. Here's number two. We must teach our children and enthusiastically share who God is and what he has done. What is it that Asaph is saying that we need to teach our children? And he says this, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation, watch what he says, we're going to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. There are four clear things that we see just in this passage in Psalm 78 that God tells us and instructs us that we should be teaching our children and future generations. The Holy Spirit uses this song, this poem of Asaph the prophet, and he first of all tells us that we should teach our children and future generations about the glorious deeds of the Lord. Listen to what he's saying. Are you listening? If you are, say amen. He's saying we should teach our children how God has worked in creation. This phrase, the glorious deeds of the Lord, it speaks to the creative power of God. Now listen to this. My brothers and sisters, it is imperative that we teach our children from the moment that they are born, that there is a God and that God has acted in creation and that they have not evolved from any kind of monkey or gorilla or they have not evolved from an elephant, they've not evolved from a dog, that we are not somehow going to be reincarnated and have 17 lives and some of us may come back as dogs or cats and all of that other mumbo-jumbo. That is not what we are teaching. So when our children are confronted that, right, in a secular place where maybe a science teacher or someone else is not 
having completely the freedom to teach this creation story. It is imperative that we are teaching our children from birth. There is a God who exists and God has created you and he has fearfully and wonderfully crafted you, made you in his image and his likeness and you are this wonderful image bearer. You're this icon of the Lord and you are different and distinct from all of humanity and in that comes real self-esteem and self-value and self-worth, right? That is where we are valued at our most when we recognize God has created us for his pleasure. And then he says, you need to share with these future generations about the might and power, God's might over everything. This is speaking of God's sovereignty. And so these big picture ideas that we are to be teaching is that God has worked in creation and you're not an accident and that there is a God who is all-powerful and that his might uh, overshadows everything. There is no one or no thing who can compare to the sovereignty of God. Moms and dads, Jesus is not in some wrestling mat match with Satan today. If you understand that, say amen. With a spoken word, with a spoken word, demons flee. When the culmination of human history ends and Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom here on earth, he does not go to some big war to where he gets bruised and battered and the, 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 uh, God's people are just torn asunder and they're, they're barely surviving. Jesus comes and with the word from his mouth, all the forces of evil are defeated. Do you believe in that God? Do you believe that? He's saying God is that kind of God. He's so powerful. And we teach our children how sovereign he is. It says that we should teach him the wonders that he has done. This is in reference to his supernatural, miraculous provision and care for Israel. That when Israel was hungry, he fed them. When they were thirsty, he gave them water. That when they needed clothes, he clothed them. That whenever Israel had a need, God was compassionate and faithful to meet that need. How many of you can say God is sovereign? I know he is. And that he's worked in me in creation. And man, God has cared for me down through the years. How many of you can testify to that? I mean, he has spared me so many times. And he spares me oftentimes not from this enemy. He spares me from the enemy from within. He spares me from my own sinful heart, my own sin nature. He saves me from myself. That is what God does. And so he's supernatural in his miraculous provision. So what are we teaching our children? The wonders he's done, his might and power, his sovereignty, his creation, his glorious deeds. And then we teach them that God has established his testimony in Jacob and he has given us his word. We're teaching our children and our children's children and future generations the reliability and sufficiency of God's word of revelation to us. That God has revealed himself specifically in two forms. He has revealed himself specifically in Christ. What is God like? Look at Jesus. What does God look like? Look at Jesus. What does God act like? He acts like Jesus. How does God respond to people? Look at Jesus. He has specifically revealed himself through his son Jesus. Paul tells us in the book of Colossians that Jesus is this perfect image of the Father. But he's revealed himself through Scripture as well. Specifically through the pages of this book. 
What is God like? What does he demand? Where did I come from? Is there any such thing as truth? And God answers that, those questions over and over and over again by saying yes, because I have established my testimony, my faithfulness to my people that I created, Jacob, and I've established my word or my precepts. We teach our children enthusiastically. We teach our children enthusiastically share who God is and what he has done. I, I want every person in this room, 25 years and younger, to stand to your feet. But don't no one head to the back door. We're not done. Stand to your feet, 25 and younger. Let me see who you are. 25 and younger, I'm capturing attention right now. You're having to figure out, is that me? Is he speaking to me? 25 and younger. I want to look at all of y'all. Did you eat too much last night? You know who I'm looking at. I did. 25 and younger. Listen to what I'm about to say to you. The word of God is God's revelation. What does that mean? It is God's revealing, his self-revealing of who he is and what he has done. Any concept that you have of God outside of this book is not reliable. Why is that? Because God revealed himself specifically through his son and he specifically revealed himself through the word of God. And so I'm looking at all of you guys, all you three big young guys right here, or all y'all junior high, you're freshmen now, aren't you, Glenn? All you guys, all you girls. I'm looking at some of you older people who are in college. You listen to what your preacher is telling you today. When you depart from this book, you depart from the author who wrote this book. When you leave the teaching of this word, you're leaving your belief and faith in Christ. So I today take this word and I commend it to each and every one of you in an unbelievable way to take God's word, to know it, to learn it. You guys can be seated. Everybody 25 and older, stand to your feet. That's the rest of us. Get up, but don't leave. Take this word. It's not too late. Take the word and hide it in your heart. Seek to understand it. It's more than just memorization, but it's understanding the story of redemption, of how God created and how through sin we fell and how we messed up that picture, but how God is so faithful to love us through Christ and his cross and how he's coming back for us again and that he is the author of all of this history and that he is going to accomplish in us what he has finished in us he who has begun a good work in you is able to complete it. If you believe it, say amen. I commend this word to you. And we must teach it and we must believe it and we must enthusiastically share who God is and what he has done. You may be seated. And then lastly, listen close and fast. We must not only teach our children enthusiastically share who God is and what he's done, we must hear this urgent call from God and understand what it state, what's at stake. 
We need to get serious about the word. But we must lead future generations to set their hope in God, avoiding rebellion and unfaithfulness. Here's the title for today. So that they should set their hope in God. Why are we teaching our children and the children that are yet are unborn? that are yet unborn, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Why do people yield to the temptation of rebellion and live in unfaithfulness to the Lord? Not this week, but last week, Joshua Harris, popular Christian author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He was a leader of the purity movement along with uh, a man named Ross who worked at Lifeway, a student minister for years. Joshua Harris came out last week, and uh, if you're an evangelical, it sort of shook evangelical news. He shared the announcement last week that he was, one, divorcing his wife. That was the first announcement. But then he came back and made another announcement why he was divorcing his wife. I'm telling you this because this is mightily, vitally important and practical to us today. We use that book here uh, at Calvary, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Uh, and so you would say, why are you sharing that today? Because... In his second statement, Josh Harris said this, I've undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this, for what, for what's happening to him, is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, these are his words, not mine, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith. And I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. And if you read all of his statements, you'll realize that his position on sexuality, gender, homosexuality, it's all changing. That he's uh, virtually repented of teaching uh, about purity, about chastity, about the difference in uh, the uh, American dating culture versus courtship. That he's renounced all of that and I want you to hear what he's done. There's a lot of integrity in what Joshua Harris has done because this is what he's done. Instead of saying, my views on all of that have changed, but I'm still a Christian, he's had enough integrity to realize his views on all of that could not change and him profess that he was a Christian. So what he has done is he has said, my views on all of this, what I thought was true, is no longer true, so therefore... I'm saying to you, I'm no longer a Christian. He is speaking truth when he says that. What should we do? We should pray for him. We should pray that God turns his heart. Why are you sharing that illustration today? Because Joshua Harris is the modern day Israelite that Asaph is reminding his readers about. He would have been the type of Israelite who would have received grace and mercy from the Lord, thanked him for it out of one side of his mouth, cursed God about it out the other side of his mouth, 
live the way that he wanted to, plus when things weren't going his way, and then uh, when he would recognize the judgment of God, that he would temporarily, uh, if you will, get right with God or try to appease God with his voice. Every one of you, including your pastor, every one of us, including me, are faced with whether we are going to allow the grace and mercy of God to so inhabit our heart and respond to him in faith and to do that for as long as we live to demonstrate that we are a believer. We are faced with that today. I'm not standing here today and saying to you that I won't be Joshua Harris. I'm saying to you by God's grace, I pray that I will never be Joshua Harris. But I will tell you that time will tell. And the question that is facing you, that faces your children, and it faces your children's children and our future generations is this. Will we teach them the gospel in such a way that their life is transformed by the power of God and Jesus, not intellectuality, not emotionalism, not popularity, nothing but Jesus dwells in their heart and has possession of us. Are y'all tracking with me? You say, preacher, do you believe that he was saved and then lost? No. I believe that he never was saved. He never was saved. The Bible doesn't teach that a person can be saved and lost, although that's a popular teaching in our area. And I'm going to tell you why the Bible does not teach that. Because if God could save you and secure you one minute, but he could lose you another minute, he's not God. But man, oh, those who God secures, those who God lays his grip of grace on, we are secure by his hand, not by our works, not by our efforts, but by his hand. This is what we have to teach our children. That unless God grabs a hold of your heart, son, unless God grabs a hold of your heart, daughter, there is no hope for you. And when God is extending his word and his grace and his mercy to you, you have one response, and that is in humility to receive it. And to repent of your sins and then to walk in that repentance and to walk in that humility daily with the Lord. That's verse 8. Why do people yield the temptation of rebellion and live in unfaithfulness? Because they're unfaithful and they've never been born again. But watch this. Stand to your feet so you can think we're about to get out of here. Verse 7. We set our hope in God. And we do this by two things. How is it that we teach future generations to set their hope in God? And he says we need to remember the works of the Lord. Will you do that right now? Right now I want you to think and remember how God's been kind to you and faithful to you and good to you. 
how God's demonstrated his grace to you. I want you to repent of murmuring and fussing and, and, and just talking about what you don't have. And I want you to think about how faithful God has been to you. Remember the works of the Lord. God's been more faithful to me than I could ever begin to be back to him. Remember his works. And then we can set our heart upon God by obeying his word. Forget not the works of God, but keep his commandments. When you remember the grace and the goodness and the mercy of the Lord, the work that he has done, remember that he has established his word, his law, and he has established the gospel of Christ so that we may know him. And I want you to obey that gospel. And so today, if there is any kind of scriptural vision that we need to begin a family ministry with, it is the very fact that we must lead our future generations to set their hope in God and God alone. And in doing so, God's grace will allow us to avoid rebellion and unfaithfulness. We must teach our children enthusiastically. Uh, we must teach our children enthusiastically share who God is and what he has done. And we must hear the urgent call from God and understand what is at stake. Preacher, we like when you go to the beach. You come back fired up. I can't express to you today how urgent this is. And I want to say to you, every one of you dads and moms in this place, surrender your heart fresh and new to Jesus. Tell him that you need him, that you believe the gospel, that you want to know the gospel, you want to know his word, and that you gladly receive his word, and you want to teach it to your children. This morning as I was reviewing some of this, I got to ask a family last night, what's the best part of grandparenting? And as they were saying, the best part of grandparenting is when the parents leave. <laughs> this morning I got to thinking, Lord willing, if uh, the Lord allows Ruthie to go full term and this little baby shawl is born, we're going to have an opportunity to sing the gospel to that little baby and to pray for that little baby and to instill the gospel in that little baby. And I want to encourage you to do that with your children now. I was told Jake yesterday, we were talking, I said, man, this next year is real pivotal for you. Before you leave the home, Right? Some of you don't want to even talk about leaving the home until the weekend before, but I'm telling you, it's probably too late. I'm saying, man, next year, right, when you're getting ready to leave home, it's really important your Bible intake this year. 
You better be reading. You better be understanding. You better be praying. It's just vitally important to who you are in Christ. So today, whether you respond in your seat, or whether you respond here, I want to encourage you to respond. If you're a kid here in our children's ministry or a student, I want to encourage you to pray and say, God, give me a teachable heart and a teachable spirit. Will you do that today? Father, in the name of Jesus, God, thank you for Psalm 78. And as we begin to open this door and think about and consider, Lord willing, this whole idea of your command to for us to know who you are, to know your word, and to teach, intentionally evangelize and teach our children and our children's children and future generations. And that our mission strategy and our strategy to reach our community would be grounded in this idea that you have a people and you have a people that you have redeemed and you've told us to be fruitful and multiply and you've given us a platform to teach and I pray God that you would allow us to do that help us to be willing learners help us to have humility and God thank you for this gospel of Jesus Thank you, God, that you sent your Son so that we may know you. That in him, all of this law, all of this command is properly fulfilled. There's not one aspect of it that is not met in Christ. So, God, that through Christ, we can take this word and teach it to future generations. God, may this be a foundation for the work that Taylor and Kaylee will do, that Brian will do. May it be a foundation for the work that every mom and dad, every single, every widow, every widower will do in this church, in this family. God, may you hide your word in our hearts and empower us to make disciples of future generations. It's my prayer today in Jesus' name. As we lift our voices to the Lord, I want to invite you to come and pray. Pray for our, our families. Pray for our children, our students. But let's pray and surrender our hearts fresh and new to the Lord as we sing.